Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I hope you've had a happy Thanksgiving. Enjoyed uh, thanking the Lord as you went through the weekend. Um, you know, I'm so thankful for our salvation in Christ. I'm thankful for a copy of the Word of God. I'm thankful the Holy Spirit lives within. I'm thankful that we're a part of the body of Christ. I'm so thankful for all the many blessings that God has given to us. Another thing I'm grateful for is I'm grateful for the future that we share together in Christ, the promise that someday Jesus will return. That's what I want to talk about today from Matthew chapter 24. If you would open God's word to Matthew 24, we're going to focus in on verses 3 through 14. Matthew 24, verses 3 through 14 is going to be our focus. Just wanted to mention a little bit about this whole chapter. You know, this whole chapter is actually focused on the return of Christ. And that's what it's talking about. Six times, if you were to go through the chapter, six different times, Jesus says he's coming back. You know, in verse 27, he says, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. In verse 30, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Verse 37, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. When he was referring to, it's going to be similar to the days of Noah. Then verse 39, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. In verse 42, you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. And then again in verse 44, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Wow, you know, he's coming. And it's going to be so exciting for us whenever he comes. What will be the sign of his coming and of the end of the age? That's the question that the disciples ask in verse 3. They said, tell us. Have you ever wanted to ask Jesus a question? What question would you want to ask him? Tell us, they said, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Have you ever thought about that one? You know, uh, the same dialogue that we have here recorded in Matthew 24 pretty much is recorded again in Mark 13 and again in Luke chapter 21. So three different places, its same words are recorded. You know, road signs and street signs are all over this country. Have you ever noticed how you can see stop signs? You know, one-way signs, yield sign, speed, speed limit signs. Some people don't really pay attention to these things. I'm telling you, they're out there, though. Slow, uh, curve, end of the road, and, of course, distance. You know, I didn't realize there are like 500 different road signs that uh, if you were to look them up, they're all there. Someone estimates that across the United States, there are 40 million road signs up like everywhere. And I'm sure you've seen them. But Jesus identifies that there's certain kinds of signs that indicate when his coming is getting near, when it's getting closer and closer. And so I want us to look at those. Some of you may be saying, I'm not really into eschatology. I'm not really interested in end time events and so forth. I get that. But maybe you need to think about why did, the, why did the Lord put this in his word? Why is it there? Well, I wanted to kind of, just like I said about all those verses that talk about his coming, that he will come. Well, I wanted you to notice some verses that are sprinkled throughout this chapter. Before we read our concentration verses, 
I want you to see verse 4. You know, verse 4 is one reason why he wanted to say these things. He said, see that no one leads you astray. That's why you need to know what it's going to be like when we get closer and closer to Christ's return. Because some people are going to be led astray. And he doesn't want you and he doesn't want me, he doesn't want us to be led astray. And that's why I'm going to deal with it today because he doesn't want his flock, his people to be led astray. But I want you to look at verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. Okay, there's a second reason. He doesn't want you to be led astray, but he also doesn't want you to be alarmed because some people are going to push the panic button. He says, see that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. So as we're going down the road of life and down the, down the corridors of time, there are going to be these things, and it's going to look frightening. And some people are going to be tempted to either be afraid or to be worried, to be stressed. But verse 33 says, know that Jesus is near. Verse 33, know that he is near. Verse 42, why would he give us these things? He says in verse 42, for one reason here, another one, so that you would stay awake. Have you ever been on a long trip and you start kind of dozing off and then you realize, oh my goodness, there's exit 696. It's time for me to get off. This is Columbus, you know. Well, the Lord wants you to know when he's getting closer so that you don't just doze off spiritually. I do want you to know we have cameras that are kind of looking today in case anybody dozes off today. I'm kidding. Just like uh, Josh was kidding when he told me that there's a set of scales that weigh people today when we come in. I was like, oh, no. I'm going to break the scales. But stay awake. Verse 44, he says, you need to be ready. Are you ready? You know, be ready for the Lord's return. But then verse 45, there's one last one. So that we would stay faithful. So that we would stay faithful. You might, you might, I might, we might sort of coast, take it easy, you know, in our service for the Lord. But the Lord says, don't do that. You stay faithful, especially when you see these cluster of things beginning to happen. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all give us the context of what's going on. You can see it in this passage in verses 1 and 2. You know, Jesus left the temple, was going away, when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. That's in verse 1. So that's the context. The disciples were saying, you know how pretty that temple is. Look at those big stones. As a matter of fact, that's what Mark says in his chapter 13. says, what w wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. In Luke, the Jesus, uh, it's recorded that these disciples said to Jesus, the temple is adorned with noble stones. They just get, couldn't get over how beautiful this whole thing was. Those foundation stones by the way, were somewhere between 20 to 40 feet long and weighed 100 tons each. It took 85 years for them to build the temple. And so Jesus is telling them not one stone is going to be on top of another. And they're thinking, how can that be? So maybe that's going to be your kind of take, and you're going to say, how can any of these things be? I want you to hear what the Lord said so you'll be awake. So when you look at the dashboard, You'll say, I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to be led astray. I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be awake. So would you stand with me as we read from verse 3 down through verse 14. 
As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines. Some translations put pestilences right there and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Lord, we need clarity. Uh, There's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of things we don't understand in our lives. But I pray that you would give us the clarity that we need about the end. Lord, it looks like to me, if I read this whole chapter, you're coming back. And there's nothing bad about that. There's something great about that. But before we get to that point, it sounds to me like there's certain signs you want us to be aware of so that we're not led astray, so that we're not alarmed, so that we stay awake. And so help us, O Lord, to spiritually uh, not fall asleep, to watch out and be careful because someday when we least expect it, you will return. I pray especially, Lord, today, For any who are in this room who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ yet, they're not ready, but they can be. That's the good news. And so I pray that today's message would help them to get ready. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, Jesus compared these signs uh, to birth pains of a woman in labor. You know, uh, those of you who have been through that, you understand that as delivery nears, The pain increases in frequency. It increases in intensity. And so let's look at these signs that Jesus said, when you see these kinds of things happening, you'll know that it's getting near. So the first sign that I noticed is found in verse 4 and 5. It's also mentioned again, I think, in verse 11. The first sign is deception. Deception. Notice the frequency of the word many. The word many. He talks about many will be deceiving. He said, many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ. They're going to be false Christs. You drop down to verse 11 and he says, and many false prophets will arise. So many will be deceiving, but then many will also be deceived. There's going to be a lot of people led astray. And so that's why he says, many will be led astray. Many will be led astray. Twice he says the same thing. 
You know, the Apostle Paul said something exactly the same in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3 is really powerful in terms of identifying what will it be like as we near the end. Well, one of the things he highlighted in verse 5 is there's going to be a lot of people who will have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. Verse 7 says in 2 Timothy 3, there's a group that's going to be always learning, but they're never able to arrive at, knowledge, at the knowledge of the truth. They'll be disqualified, he says, regarding the faith. You see, the Lord's burden here for his heart, for your life and my life, is he doesn't want us to be led astray. And that's why he's trying to tell us to prepare us, get ready, because many people are going to choose to go the wrong way. But he wants us to stay focused, to stay obedient, to stay faithful to his word. You know, in 2 Timothy 2, it describes when there's going to be this great world leader called the Antichrist someday. During that whole time, during those seven years of tribulation, there's going to be incredible deception. But it says that they refuse to love the truth. That's why they'll be deceived. They refused to love the truth. And it says they did not believe the truth. So there were people who were saying, I don't want the truth. I'm not going to believe the truth, even if you share it with me. And so they're going to be susceptible to deception. So that's the first sign to watch out for. There is a second sign if you look at verses 6 and 7 back in Matthew 24. He says, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So let's just pause right there. I think there would be a second sign, division, division. The focus here is on international disputes where a nation rises against nation, kingdom against kingdom. If you were to read both the Old Testament and the New Testament, you would see there are a lot of prophecies about battles that are still yet in the future. And it's funny how the epicenter is always in the Middle East, and it's always concentrated in Israel and specifically in Jerusalem. Sometime I encourage you to write down these verses and read them in Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. Sometime read Ezekiel verses 38 and 39, or Revelation 16 and verse 14. It's like it always seems to point toward conflict in Jerusalem. There was a Bible scholar named Eric H. Klein, and he says that Jerusalem has been destroyed two times already. It's been besieged 23 times. It's been attacked an additional 52 times, and it's been captured and then recaptured 44 times. It seems like that's the place where a lot of conflict takes place. But we're talking about international, global conflict. You know, in Revelation 6, whenever they open the seals of the tribulation and it begins, it begins with four horsemen. The second horseman, remember what color horse he was riding on? Red. Revelation 6, 3 through 4, describes a future time when peace will be taken from the earth, it says. Because why? Because we, they, will slay one another. You know, someday, God warns there's going to be a great army from the east. 
You know, it's going to be 200 million. They're going to destroy one-third of mankind in Revelation 9, verses 14 through 16. But my point is just to make you aware of these things so you don't panic, so you're not afraid. If that ever begins to, you start seeing it over and over again. You see deception, then you see division. Let's go to the third one. There is a third sign at the end of verse 7 and going into verse 8. And there will be famine. Like I said earlier, some translations also include the word pestilences. I'm reading from the ESV. It did not. But I did notice that in Luke's version, even in the ESV, pestilences is included there. But then it says, and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. You see, all of these things, they're kind of telling us it's coming, it's coming. And especially when you see them more frequently and you see how intense they can be. See, natural disasters can be overwhelming. Hurricanes, have you been keeping up with how many hurricanes have been in 2020? Really, uh, if I understand correctly, this is the most active year on record for hurricanes. The last one I saw them identify was like storm number 29. And they were saying, this is, this is really an unusual year. And then there are wildfires. Over in California, they've doubled what was their record. They always have wildfires, it seems like, over in California. But this year, it doubled as 4 million acres have burned. The Associated Press warns that famines are coming. 2021, they're trying to anticipate what will next year be like. And they're looking worldwide, and they're saying it could be biblical proportions. They're using a word called a hunger pandemic in some circles. They're saying they project that 270 million people are nearing starvation already. 20 countries are requiring urgent attention. All I'm saying is the signs. If you start looking at the news, you start paying attention to what's going on globally around us. Earthquakes. During 2020, there were eight earthquakes that were over 7.0, 99 earthquakes that were between 6.0 and 7.0. There were 1,519 earthquakes between 5.0 and 6.0. There were 11,438 earthquakes between 4.0 and 5.0, and there were 109,925 earthquakes between 2.0 and 4.0. Wow. You know, they say that the Worldwide Earthquake Database goes all the way back to 2100 B.C. From 2100 B.C. just to 1995, of course, we're in 2020, but 2100 B.C. just to 1995, there have been 4 million seismic events. 4 million. And Jesus said, I want you to watch out for this sign, disasters. There are going to be famines. There are going to be pestilences. There are going to be earthquakes. But that's just the beginning as it gets going. There is a fourth sign, detention. Who's going to be arrested? Who's going to be put incarcerated? Let's read verse 9. Then they will deliver, uh-oh, you. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all names for my name's sake. Wait a minute. Let's run that back one more time. What was the charge? Why were people going to be incarcerated or arrested? 
Did you hear what he said? It's at the end. I'm going to go backwards in the verse. Let's look at the spiritual charge because there was no legal charge. They had not committed any crimes. He said, you will be hated and all these things for my namesake, just for being a Christian, just for saying I'm following Jesus Christ. So maybe it'll be isolated, right? Maybe it won't happen where we are. He says it's going to actually be a global movement. Here's what he says, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So it's like, wait a minute, where can I move so that I won't encounter this level of persecution and animosity? Notice the emotional intensity of it all. He does use the word hated, right? He said, you'll be hated. What is it that Christians, followers of Christ, would do that would make people hate us so much? And then he says, there will be physical torture that will be involved. He calls it tribulation. He goes on to say, some will even be put to death. Man, he says, they will deliver you up. That word deliver you up there is like whenever the police or the, the military, someone turns you in, so you are taken and arrested for your faith. So I'm thinking, wow, detention is another sign. Let's go to the fifth sign. The fifth sign is defection. When persecution intensifies, guess what will begin to happen to church attendance? Well, the numbers will begin to thin out. Defection will increase. Here's the way Jesus said, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. I looked over that list and I thought, you know, the defection seems to have three different groups in it. Here's one group. Some will be what's called deserters, and then many will fall away. I think those who will fall away at this point, they were never really about following Jesus. They just sort of thought it was cool to come to church or cool to follow Christ, you know, cool to be involved in Christian things. But whenever the persecution starts, it'll weed out people that weren't serious about following Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. Others will become what's called, I would call, double-crossers. Do you know what a double-crosser is? Well, he says there, and then many will fall away, that's the deserters, and betray one another. They'll betray one another. What could he possibly mean in the context of having just talked about persecution to betray one another? They will, they will be informants. They will be traitors. And so how frightening is that whenever it's like, wait a minute. People I thought were my friend will one day betray those that uh, were supposed to be friends. Few will become even disturbed by it. I believe there are some that are going to absolutely go bonkers, and they're going to just start hating people. They're going to hate one another, going to hate everybody. And so there will be like this anger. And so they can't trust anyone, so they, they'll be angry at everybody. You know, 2 Thessalonians also substantiates what Jesus is predicting here. In 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3, it refers to a falling away that will come first before the Antichrist is revealed. I don't want you to be in such a group. You know, the Pew Research did some uh, surveys this year in 2020. And of course, we've got, you know, coronavirus and a major pandemic going on. A lot of people are trying to protect their health. I understand that. But in August of 2020, 
they found out that across the United States, every state, add it all together, what's the average of people who come to in-person worship like you this morning? 12%, 12% in August of this year. 12% were saying, I'll go to in-person worship. Well, the rest of the people are worshiping online, right? Well, they found actually only 33% were worshiping online. So my question is, after the pandemic, or if the pandemic persists, where will we be? Will we begin to desert, to defect? Or will we say, you know what? I'm going to stay faithful to Christ. I'm going to find a way that I can stay safe and continue to worship, continue to serve, continue to witness, continue to learn and grow and develop. Let's go back to our text and look at verse 12. Jesus said also another thing you can count on, lawlessness. Lawlessness is going to increase and the love of many will grow cold. So love is going to decrease. So lawlessness will increase. Love's going to decrease. I call that depravity. Depravity, because from the very beginning, what, what caused all of our problems? Remember, it was us rebelling against God. Rebellion. We don't want to be told we can't eat from that tree. We want to be able to do anything we want. And so it's no wonder that in the last days, when it gets closer and closer to the devil's time of running out, that lawlessness will increase. Did you catch that um, this month? When on November the 20th, it was uh, stated that the number of homicides in Houston is up by 44%. You know, the police chief, uh, Art Acevedo, said that violent criminals, they're putting them in the jails and they're being released on a $100 bond. It's just shocking, you know, whenever you realize all that's happening from the whole year, 2020, when you think about violence, you think about unrest in the streets. You think about looting and destruction. You think about violence being up, like he's saying. And you wonder, will it get worse? Lawlessness will be increased, Jesus said. But then he goes on to say, the love of many will grow cold. Why will people's love grow cold? I wonder if it's because they'll stop caring. They'll stop caring about others. They'll stop caring about their community. They'll stop caring about their country. They'll stop caring about their church. They'll start, stop caring about children or others. And that's why you'll see the informants. That's why people will betray one another. That's why hatred. Did you see in verse 9 and verse 10, the word hates mentioned twice. Jesus is trying to say in the future, you better keep your eyes open when hatred begins to increase and love is going down. You see, love, I feel like, is like a fire. You have to keep stoking it. You have to remind yourself, God loves me, and I'm going to love everybody that I'm around. Do you know that right now, this morning, there's nobody in my heart that I hate? Not one person. Because God has blown out all the hate and replaced it with love. And so I'm thinking we need to be known, no matter what society does, we need to stay, be, stay focused on love like the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me give you a seventh sign. It's the last one. It's different, it seems, than the others because it talks about a declaration. I believe it's referring to, in verse 14, 
the proclamation or the declaration of the gospel. It says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. You know, I was looking at three things about this declaration. The first thing is the content. You know, I love it that we have uh, hunger relief ministries. I love it that we have hospitals and schools and orphanages. I think all of those are great. But the one thing we must never forget, what's our primary calling? What's our primary mission? It's that message, the gospel message. He doesn't say anything about all those other kind of things. He says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed, will be proclaimed. So that's the message to proclaim right now in 2020, to give that message of hope that people can be forgiven, that there's something great to look forward to. I saw that as the content of the declaration. But then I looked at what is the extent of the declaration, the extent of it. How far does it go? Who is included when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel? Jesus goes on to say, well, it's going to be proclaimed throughout the whole world. Throughout the whole world. See, that's why I go to places like Ethiopia. That's why we send Jacob Tice to Japan. He's in Osaka now and uh, asking us to pray for him as he gets to know Japanese people. That's why Jesse and Danielle are preparing in Mexico to go to Costa Rica to share the gospel in Costa Rica. That's why the uh, Colmans are in Greece. And that's why Amber Ogguild is in, uh, over in uh, Middle Asia, Central Asia. We need to ask the Lord, Lord, help me to pray for these. You know, today in your worship bulletin, you found there was a brochure in there. You know what that is? That's how you can pray with your family this week. There's seven different days that are mentioned in there. So today it asks us, be praying for the children of Kenya. If you read that day one, it'll break your heart when you realize how broken our world is, that there are these little boys that are having to live on the streets. But the good news is there are missionaries who are reaching out to those boys on the streets, and they're sharing with them the good news of Christ. That's what the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is all about. We'll be receiving that in the month of December. You know, sometimes when it gets Christmas, we make our list and we're thinking about us or we're thinking about our kids, and we should. I mean, there's nothing wrong there, but not only to think about us and our kids. We ought to think about others and say, wait a minute, I've never really given considerably to that mission offering, but I think this year I will. Remember, that offering goes 100% to, to support people like Jesse and Danielle and like Jacob Tice. So all I'm saying is the extent of this declaration that goes right down to the very end, it's worldwide. But then there's one last thing I wanted to hit on before I close, the intent of the declaration. You see, the content of the declaration is the gospel itself. The extent of the declaration is throughout the whole world. No, no, nobody excluded. But then I like it. He says, as a testimony to all nations. You know what it means? What it means is God wants to make sure everybody has a chance. Everybody needs an opportunity to hear the gospel at least one time, hopefully more than once. 
Researchers say it takes eight times before you're ready. Some of you may have heard the gospel message eight times, and you would say, you know what? It's beginning to ring a bell. I'm beginning to see it more clearly. That's why we want you, because God, it's his intent that you know the way that you can be ready when Jesus returns. You know, we've listened as the king has revealed the various signs that will proceed or precede his return. You know, there's a spiritual sign of deception. There's an international sign of division. There are natural signs of disasters. There's a judicial sign of detention. There's an ecclesiastical sign of defection. And there's a societal or a cultural sign of depravity. But there's also a missiological sign of the declaration of the gospel worldwide. But here's the thing. The Bible is so clear. Christ is coming. You don't know and I don't know if it'll be today or tomorrow, next week, next year, or in another lifetime, another person's generation. But we don't know that. And so that's why we need to know it's certain that he's coming. Here's the one thing that's uncertain. Will you be going? Will you be going? I'm certain that I will go because I'm not basing it on my own works. I'm not saying I'm going because I'm real spiritual or I'm real moral or I'm a good person. None of that, really. There's only one reason why I think I'm going. Because Jesus died for me and he died for you. And they placed him in a, in a grave and he rose three days later and then he ascended to the Father and the angel said, he's coming back. And so I chose to believe that. I repented of my sins and I placed my faith in Christ. You know, when you get down toward the end of this chapter, verses 40 and 41 and 42, it's pretty clear Jesus is saying, everyone's not going. You understand that? Everyone is not going. He says, then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the meal and one will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Verse 44 goes on to say, Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming, and an hour you do not expect. There's only one reason that anybody goes. It's not based on popularity. It's not based on human goodness. It's not based on our personality. It's only based on his finished work, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Trusting him, that's how you know I'm going. So don't presume that you'll have more time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that I got another few years to sow wild oats. I wouldn't do that if I were you. Don't, don't count on the fact that you're going to be able to second guess it. He says it'll be sometime when you don't expect it. So the best thing to do is say, Lord, I won't be ready. And you can be ready. That's the great news. That's why we always give this time at the end when we sing a closing song and we offer the opportunity for people to trust Christ. It's not my invitation. It's not really even our church's invitation. It's Christ's invitation to you. Let's all stand. Let me pray. Our musicians will prepare to lead us in this song. And you, you just say, Lord, am I ready? And if you're not ready, then once you come, talk to Josh, talk to me.